First John and chapter 3. We will begin reading from verse 19. First John chapter 3, commencing from verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Well, brethren, we are continuing to look at uh, the first epistle of John, and we have noted as we have been looking through this book that the subject is that of assurance. I have said again and again that one reason why it is important for those of us who profess to be Christians to have this assurance that we are truly God's people is that it enables us to serve the Lord. Because if you don't know that God has forgiven you, if you don't know that you are a child of God, you lack the confidence to meet with people and share with them the good news. After all, you don't have the good news yourself. But when you know what God has done for you, you can't keep it to yourself. You want to share it with all those who are around you because it's the best news in the universe. We also said that it is important because we only have one chance to live. Very soon, this place, those of us who are here, will not be here. We will all be in eternity. There will be a completely new congregation here. At that time when we meet with God face to face, and he tells us, I never knew you, it will be too late. You can't come back, put things right, and then go back to meet with God. So if your kind of hazy, misty, dewy kind of assurance of salvation is one that is not tested by scripture itself, you will be most disappointed on the last day when God says, get away from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And therefore, it is vital that each one of us should be able to read a book like First John and tick the boxes. 
that what it is saying here is true about me. Now, in the third chapter, we have noted that there are two tests so far that John is giving. The first is that of righteousness, righteous living. We saw that from verse 4 to verse 10. And then the second, which began in verse 11, is that of love for believers. Again, simple. You either are a Christian or not. If you're a Christian, then there are a number of realities. And two of them are that there has been a moral transformation that has taken place in your life and you love the people of God. In the recent past, we've been in verse 19 going downwards and we have been looking at the blessing of having this assurance of salvation. The first that we noticed was when our hearts condemn us. In other words, when we do something that we clearly is, is wrong and our consciences smite us and cause us to doubt whether we are truly Christians or not. What happens? Again, we saw uh, John saying that we reassure our hearts before him by what he has just talked about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, this righteous living, this love that we have for the saints. This cannot be from ourselves. And then we also saw positively what happens when our hearts do not condemn us. And we saw there that essentially we have confidence in dealing with God and also we are assured of answered prayer. And just to make sure that we don't look at this as a kind of formula in order for us to make sure that our prayers are always being answered, we spent quite a bit of time last week illustrating this from the domestic situation where there is a child that lives a life that is pleasing to his or her parents. You see how that child is at home in relating to parents, confident in relating to them, and also confident that if I ask for anything, I will be given according to the wisdom of my parents. They definitely will not just want to hold back because there is a good, loving relationship that I have with them. Today, we pick up the thread from there. And it's the thread of doing God's commandments. Notice at the end of verse 22. It says there, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. John is invariably now asking the question, what are these commandments that I have in mind? And in answer, he summarizes all of them into one commandment, one complete 
full holistic commandment, but he does it in a way that he still breaks it down into two. And that's what I want us to look at together this morning in verse 23. Look at the way he puts it. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Why is this important? It is one that will save us from thinking that salvation is by works. Remember, we have been dealing with a righteous life. On one hand, we've also been dealing with loving Christians on the other. And it's very easy for us to begin thinking that if I can only do those two things, live a life where I cannot remember the last time I ever sinned, live a life where I'm constantly giving and sacrificing and helping and doing good here, there, everywhere, finally God will say, well done, come into my kingdom. It's easy for us to think like that as we're making our way through First John and chapter 3. But when we now zero in on what are these commandments, suddenly we realize that in fact it takes us right back to salvation by grace. How does verse 23 show us that? Well, it is primarily as we look at the first part of what God commands. The first part of what God commands all of us, is that we should trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23 again. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, to most of us, that may just sound like a, a statement that is a matter of fact, and we quickly want to move on. Let's remember that this was being written at the beginning of the Christian era. It was being written at a time when, generally speaking, belonging to God meant belonging to Judaism. That's the way the understanding was, that you were either a Jew Consequently, you belonged to God or you were a person who had joined the Jews and therefore you belonged to God. John is clearly here making a complete break from that. God, he is saying, has now commanded that you should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Only then can you say, I now belong to God. So this is a very pregnant statement. In fact, some of you may not realize this, but in those days, in the first century, the symbol of Christianity was not a cross as it is today. It was a fish. That was the symbol. And the reason why it was a fish was because the Christians being under persecution 
wanted to have a symbol that would be only known by the insiders, those who belonged to God. And so the, the word fish in Greek, when you put the Greek letters together, gave you an acronym that simply said Jesus Christ, and the word is is squeezed in there, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so that was the symbol, it was the meaning of Christianity, that we are individuals who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then as Savior as well, Savior to us. And when you look at what John is saying here, you begin to realize that that's exactly what he's talking about. He's pulling out each one of those phrases that had made up the Christian confession among themselves. Jesus Christ is clearly there. Son of God is clearly there. And as I hope to prove to you in a moment, Savior is also clearly in those words. So what does he mean when he says that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? First of all, name is not simply the way we understand it today as the tag that your parents placed on you and that you have been living by up to today. Name here means everything that makes up that person. Everything that makes up that person. In other words, we are to believe in all that that person is. And in this particular case, we are believing in all that is true concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what is that? Well, it's spelled out for us here, first of all, by simply the phrase, son. Because by son there, and especially his son, we're being told about God's son. We're being told about Jesus being God. And that was vital. Because if he was only a mere man who was born from Mary and consequently lived a good life and finally died, well, his blood shed on the cross, assuming he was perfect, would have only been sufficient for one person. But because he is God, he is of infinite value himself. His death, his blood could purchase all of us who trust in him. All of us. Whether we are millions or billions of individuals, it doesn't matter how deeply we are in sin, when we come and trust in him, that death, that blood shed on the cross will be sufficient for us for all eternity. What about Jesus? Well, Jesus is simply the equivalent of the Old Testament word, Joshua. And it refers to Jehovah being Savior. That's what it refers to. 
Jehovah being Savior. And you remember when the angel announced that it was the name that was to be given to this little baby in Matthew 1.21. This is the way it was phrased. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So therein lies the savior element. The fact that you are believing in this one who is Jesus means you are believing in this one who is the savior, who has the ability to rescue you from spiritual Egypt and take you into spiritual Canaan, so to speak. You are trusting in him. You are believing in him. And then thirdly, and lastly, it is Christ. Again, that's the Greek equivalent of Messiah, the one who has been promised by God, the anointed one who was to come and, as it were, redeem Israel, the one who would satisfy all the aspirations of his people across history. What we're being told there is that this is the command of God. God is commanding us to put our trust in him. To put all our reliance upon him. That my hope of getting to heaven, my hope of God accepting me, is that he has provided someone else. That someone else is his own son. To take my place. To suffer my punishment. To purchase my salvation. To take me from the, the place of sin into the place of salvation. To change my destination from hell to heaven. I put all my trust, I stake all my hope upon him. That's the command of God. The question is, have you obeyed that command? Have you? You know, often when we are evangelizing, we, we give people the impression that you know, sort of God is on his knees pleading. Please, Napapata. Give your life to me, or better still, open the door of your heart a little bit. I'm feeling cold outside. I want to come in. That's the impression we give to people. We do not make them realize that God is actually commanding. And when men and women refuse to yield their lives, they are simply multiplying their sin. It's a sign of ongoing rebellion against God. And come the judgment day, it will be one of the sins that you will lay to their church. That I had told you, as I, as, as I had told everybody else, that your past ignorance I have now overlooked. I am now commanding all men everywhere to repent and believe in my son. And you heard my message too. It reached your ears. 
And yet in that moment, clearly knowing that I'm commanding you to repent and believe in my son, you still stuck to your guns. You continued in rebellion and still went on living as though I have not provided this savior. We must obey. That's where salvation starts from. It is from this obedience. You remember in the book of Acts again and again, the question would be asked, what must I do to be saved? And the apostles would often answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the command of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done that yet? As you sit in here this morning, have you obeyed that command yet. You see, that's where Christianity starts from. It's not sort of coming to church week after week and induces on getting baptized and then beginning to give money in church and you know, participating in all kinds of activities. Christianity begins with responding to this command. Repent and believe the good news. Turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do that. You deliberately do that. You deliberately respond to this command. But let's hurry on because there is the second part of this command. And that second part is that all who would be saved must live a life of love one for another. Verse 23 again. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. We see here the fact that true faith is seen in the works that it produces. True faith is seen in the works that it produces. Jesus himself had said in the famous Sermon on the Mount that not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. The point there that he was making is simply that it's possible for you to have a kind of faith which is really just mental understanding. Mental understanding. I remember when I was in secondary school, the most frightening phrase to hear wherever you are was the fact that... uh, Mr. So-and-so is here. Now, so-and-so was the name of the headmaster, which I won't mention here. Now, the way in which you knew that these people know what's happening is the way in which we all scampered for cover, all of us. The moment you just heard his name being mentioned and that he is approaching, who is about to come through that door, and so on and so forth. Why? Well, that was proof we knew him. Now, let's suppose there was a brother visiting 
at boarding school. And then that announcement was made. I know exactly how he would behave. He would just be sitting there. That's all. You mentioned so-and-so has arrived. He's just sitting there. Why? He doesn't know him. Those of us who know him, he was a terror. That's why I don't want to mention his name here. We all went into hiding when we knew his name. In other words, faith is more than simply trying to understand information. Faith is reality. It is real knowledge. It is spiritual knowledge. And consequently, when a person truly believes, there is something that you are going to see very soon in his life. And one aspect of it is that of loving fellow believers. Well, let's put it a little differently. What we are learning between obeying the command of believing in the Lord Jesus and loving one another is this. That our vertical relationship, when we now believe in God, in his son Jesus Christ, when you believe in him, that vertical relationship has horizontal implications. Invariably so. Horizontal implications. You begin to care for the people that belong to that God. Another way we can easily illustrate that is in the family. In the family. In my wider family, we had a funeral this week. And so I spent the week in Indola. Those who are closely related to the deceased... They were broken. Their lives were shattered at the death of this person. When we were at the graveyard, you could see their faces. It was a time of real sorrow. Those who were not related, especially that was sort of high profile political, they were just chatting away at the graveyard. Just chatting. Talking, talking. Every so often I had to say to people, can you please stop talking for a moment? Because we're just chatting. The ones who are related, it affects them. They know, not just the father of the children, but they are children of that father and consequently have a real relationship to the other children, when one of them dies, they are deeply affected. You can't have a vertical relationship with the father and care nothing about the children. That's a lie. It's a complete lie. You are cheating yourself. Let's put it the other way around. One way in which you can prove that you've got a relationship with the father is this. What's your relationship with his children? What is it? If you've got no special empathy and sympathy for the children of God, just know that whatever it is you are referring to, as the day you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a lie. It didn't happen. You are still lost in your sins. You are still 
going to hell. So I repeat, faith is more than simply some kind of intellectual understanding. It is spiritual reality. And because it is spiritual reality, you can see the fruit of it in individual lives. And the point he's making here is that you will love the brethren. You will love the brethren. He uses the phrase love one another. Two weeks ago, when a family in the church lost a baby, you remember I explained this in a lot more detail. That this is a situation where you as an individual are in the opportunity situation. Someone else is in a situation where they are in need and consequently you use that which you have to bless the one who is in need. It may be material needs. It might be emotional needs. It might be in terms of time. It might be in terms of education. It might be in terms of whatever. The point is, you have been privileged by God somehow in that situation, and consequently, you go out of your way to minister to the other individual who at that time is in need. And then I said, don't worry. Your turn will come. In other words, somewhere along the line, in God's providence, what's going to happen is that you will now be in need. And then the brethren will also come to minister to you. So, what John is saying here is obviously collective. He's speaking to Christians here. And he's saying this is God's command. One, that you believe in God's son. Two, that you love one another. That this should be evident as proof that you are truly God's children. And he ends his statement by saying, just as he commanded us. And that's not tautology. It's not just repeating what he said at the beginning because initially when he said this is his commandment he was obviously referring to God the Father. How do I know that? Well it's simply because he goes on to say that we believe in the name of his son. Now yeah, if you have a son you must be a father. So clearly the command here is the command of God. Believe in my son that you may be saved. The second one, where it says just as he commanded, is referring to the one he had just been speaking about, and that is the son, Jesus Christ, who, as you know, when he was on earth, said again and again, especially in John 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another. I'm giving you a new commandment that you should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So clearly, that is what is being spoken about here as the second part of the commandment. This aspect of love. And notice, it's a command. Both by God the Father and by God the Son. 
you are commanded to love. And because it's a command, therefore, it's obviously more than a feeling. God is not saying here that he's commanding us to feel frothy feelings towards one another. To fail to sleep tonight because the emotions have run riot for somebody else. That's not the point here. It's not merely at an emotional level. It's at the level of action. That's where it is. And because it's at the level of action, it can be commanded. God is not asking you, how do you feel about the brethren? Because obviously we would all want to say we feel good. We would all want to say that. But what he's saying is, what are you doing about the brethren? And I keep going back again and again to what Jesus said towards the end of Matthew. When I was hungry, what did you do? When I was thirsty, what did you do? When I was in prison, laid aside by illness, what did you do? When I was materially in need, what did you do? That's the answer. It's action. To say, well, you know, I still felt emotionally attached to you is not the issue. Did you get into action? Did that faith, that which is in you, cause you to have a, such a sense of attachment to me that you went out of your way in order to meet my need? Did you do that? Now, brethren, as I always say, we can always give the excuse I was busy. We all can. But just make sure that that busyness is one that you could put into the face of God. Just make sure. And as I always say, all God will do is get somebody who is ten times busier than you. And say, Angel Gabriel, just put on the screen the guy's life. And you will see that in the midst of that person's ten times more busyness, that person still felt such an attachment to God's people that he went about doing good. And then you'll say, okay, thank you, Angel Gabriel. You can switch it off. Uh-huh, what were you saying? All right. I've made my point. So here is the Christian life summarized for us so that it fits the two greatest commandments all the way from the Old Testament. The greatest commandment is you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's really what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to give him your heart. Give him your all. Is to commit yourself to this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is the second. 
which is you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And who is my neighbor? In the family of God, it is the children of God. And that's why Christianity fulfills the law. The vertical, you've got a relationship with him, you love him, you want to please him, you obey his commandment. In the horizontal, yes, you love the people of God. You share your life with them. So I ask, you claim to be a Christian? Does your life pass this test? This two-dimensional test of obedience. Does it pass the test? It's a, a question that you only can answer. This is his commandment. That we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another. Just as he has commanded us. Have you done that? Have you? Do you continue to do so in an ongoing way? Do you? As we'll be singing in our closing hymn, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Have you done that surrendering at the altar? Lord, I give you my all. Have you done that yet? Friends, that's Christianity. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and to obey. To believe and to live a life of love for others. Oh, I pray that each one of us listening to this today may ask the Lord Jesus Christ to truly save us, truly, until we can see flowing out of our hearts a life of love. Amen.